All right, we are going to read another passage of scripture, and I think it's always good to pull the Bible out in front of you because this story is not just the church's story, it's everybody's story. So following along and having a sense of the fact that it's a part of a big story. So in the very back of your Bibles, page 156 is the next passage we're going to be in. It is actually a letter. It's a letter that was written by a pastor in the first century to a church in what is now Greece, and that's the city of Corinth. And um, it's a lot of interaction that went back and forth. And this particular chapter, chapter 15, is all about resurrection. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to read this passage, and we're going to think together about what this means for us today. So let's pray. Jesus, we pray that even now, as we are listening to your word again, that it won't just be words in a book, and it won't just be something that happened 2,000 years ago, but that you, alive in our midst, would speak to us by the power of your Spirit. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, the first 11 verses, listen to God's word to you. Paul's writing, now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaim to you, which you in turn received, in which also you stand, and through which also you are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you've come to believe in vain. For I handed unto you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom who are still alive, though some have died. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, As to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have come to believe. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. I love to exercise to music. It's my favorite way of exercising. And there was an instructor this past week, one of my favorite instructors, who put together an Easter set of music for exercise. And as we began to exercise, it was all about Easter candy. Every single song was about sugar and candy and candy and sugar. And as I was dancing away and exercising, which I really enjoyed, I thought, this is really kind of pitiful (laughs) that Easter is all about candy. And I must say, as one who fasted from refined sugar during Lent, I am very excited about sugar today. (laughs) Very excited. I almost stole some of your donuts. I controlled myself. And I found myself at the Hillsdale Mall, where I hardly ever go, going to C's, where I hardly ever go, to buy Easter candy. But you know, the message of the resurrection is so profound and so central 
not only to Christian faith, but so central to our hope and the promise of life that it's hard to put it into words, very hard to put it into words. And yet down through the ages we have tried, and as we look at our creeds, some of you actually memorized the Apostles' Creed when you were younger, and you remember those words in the creed where we say, not only I believe in the Father Almighty, but I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, and what do we say about him? He suffered under Pontius Pilate, he was crucified, he died, he was buried, and on the third day, what? He rose again from the dead. And later on in the final paragraph, we say, I believe in the resurrection. When I was preparing to be a pastor, I was required to go to seminary, and when I was in seminary, I was required to take systematic theology, which teaches us what we believe, and one of the main pieces that I learned was about the importance and the centrality of the resurrection. In fact, my systematic theology professor, Gordon Ladd, George Eldon Ladd, rather, wrote a book on it, I Believe in the Resurrection. So this is essential. It's central to what we believe. It is so important. And so that's why the Apostle Paul writes a whole chapter on it to the church in Corinth. But there's another reason he writes a whole chapter on it. And that's because the people, the believers, the Christians in Corinth were so confident in their own giftedness and the goodness of life that they were living that they didn't think the resurrection was important anymore. So Paul is saying it's absolutely important. It's absolutely central to the message I proclaim to you, to the faith in which you stand, absolutely central. But I think it's interesting, and this is what I want us to notice this morning. Paul takes them beyond just the message, beyond the creed, and starts talking about people's encounter with the living Christ. As important as the creed is at the end of the day, it isn't what people know about Jesus that's most important. It's actually their experience of Jesus. That is what changes lives, not what we learn in our head. Maya Angelou, I loved her words, or actually they make me stop and think. I don't know if you heard her say this, but she said, at the end of the day, At the end of the day, people won't remember what you said or did. They will remember how you made them feel. Interesting. She wrote a lot. She spoke a lot. I've seen Maya Angelou twice. She's awesome. But she said, at the end of the day, people are not going to remember what you said. And they're not going to remember even what you did. They're going to remember how you made them feel. How did they experience, what kind of experience did they have when they were with you? It's the experience, Angelo is saying. The real impact of resurrection as we're celebrating it today is not just our teaching about it as a church. It's not just Paul's teaching about it to the Corinthians. But it's people experiencing Jesus alive for themselves. The gospel reading, what was that about? Jesus is alive, and Mary Magdalene has her own experience of Jesus. She sees him with her own eyes. She touches him. She hears him calling her by name, Mary. And she responds back, Rabboni. It is an experience of Jesus that changes Mary Magdalene's life. What about doubting Thomas? 
doubting Thomas, who gets a lot of flack, saying, unless I can touch him, unless I can actually put my fingers in those holes in his hands and the, and the piercing in his side, I will not believe. And amazingly enough, Jesus doesn't get angry with Thomas, but comes and finds Thomas and says, touch me, do not doubt, but believe. It's exactly what God wants. Our experience of Jesus alive. And even the Apostle Paul, who knew so much. I mean, if you were playing biblical trivial pursuit, you would not want to be on the opposite team with Paul the Apostle. He had the Old Testament as a database in his head. He knew the law inside and out. Inside and out. But God wanted for Paul not just this legal knowing and knowing all about God, but actually knowing God, being in a relationship with God. And so God comes to Paul in the person of the risen Jesus Christ, encounters him in a way that knocks him flat on his face, but doesn't leave him with an experience of fear, but with an experience of grace. Pure, pure, life-changing grace changes the whole direction of his life. You may know this if you've been hanging around Trinity at all, but we have been working so hard this past year on several really important priorities, and one of them is we're trying to find a way to take the language of the church and all the creeds and confessions of the church and what we believe and somehow articulate what the Christian faith is all about, what the goal of it is, and how we move down the road in the Christian faith in our own language that resonates here at Trinity. And we're very excited because we have come up with a core statement, what we think is the destination of the Christian life, the spiritual life, and this is it. Knowing Jesus so intimately that you become like him. What do you think? I love it. And our leaders love it. It resonates. And you're going to be hearing more about this as we move into a series out of the letter of John, the first letter of John. It's not what we know up here. The destination of the spiritual life is not knowing how to be a good person. It's not morality. It's not knowing God from a distance calling the shots. It is not that. It is God standing among us, engaging us. God's heart poured out to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And the response of our heart to God's love embodied in Christ. God setting us free from fear, from conformity. And giving us a whole new life, transforming us. That's the importance of Easter. That's what happens with Mary. That's what happens with Thomas. That's what happens with his brother James. Jesus' brother, who was a skeptic. And then later has his own experience of Jesus risen from the dead. Hundreds of others. Paul. It's the ripple effect of the resurrection. It goes out down through the generations. And no, of course... I don't have the exact same spirit that Mary, or experience that Mary had. I don't get to touch Jesus in the same way. Those first experiences of the apostles and the 12 and even Paul is a little different. But it's still an encounter. And it is still Jesus alive calling us by name. Sometimes sideways, sometimes more sacramentally than head on. But still we encounter God intends for us to encounter Jesus very much alive ourselves and to be transformed.
So what's that look like today? It's important for us every time we are in the Word together to ask that question, so what? What does that look like for us today? And I have to tell you that there is one person in particular that comes to mind, and I want to tell you about him, and his name is Paul Kalenethy. Paul and Lucy joined our church a little over a year ago, and at that time he was already diagnosed with terminal cancer, and his life had changed completely. As one who had just finished all of his work, preparing to be a neurosurgeon. He'd already been diagnosed with the cancer that took his life just a few weeks ago. And at the time that I met him, there's so much that I did not know about him when he first came into this church. I knew he was a neurosurgeon, but I didn't know how highly esteemed he was within the community of Stanford where he received his training until we went to the memorial service last Tuesday, seeing the hundreds and hundreds of people that were there, but especially hearing his chief surgeon, one of his colleagues, talk about him, and also talk about his own sense of his calling as a neurosurgeon, that it wasn't a job for him, it wasn't work for him. He called it a sacred calling. I didn't know what a brilliant writer he was, and that he always imagined that that's what he would be when he grew up, that he would be a writer. I didn't know how widely the writing that he did about his death, courageously facing his mortality and writing about it in the New York Times, being interviewed about his experience by Raj Mathai on the NBC Bay Area News, I had no idea the impact of this man's courage and his witness. I didn't know how wickedly funny he was until I went to his memorial service and I heard that at the reception, I'm sorry I missed this part, but he was a legend in the Stanford band and the whole Stanford band came and played at his reception on the Stanford campus. He was a legend because he was a crazy, funny guy. I didn't know how much he cared about the rural poor in Arizona where he grew up knowing that they did not have the same opportunities that he had growing up in the doctor's family to receive an education and to become a neurosurgeon until he wanted the memorial money that would come in to be set up in a fund to help the rural poor throughout the United States. What I did know about Paul Kalanithi was the backstory, was the story of his own experience of Jesus Christ very much alive. I did know that he was raised in a home where his parents gathered the family every single day to read scripture together and to pray. I did know that he grew up in a home that modeled Jesus Christ very much alive, eager to be in a personal and intimate relationship with every single one of us. And how that really got under his skin when he was about 15 years old and his prayers meant the world to him. I did know that eventually the fallibility of the church and the craziness of the biblical story caused him to push away from that faith. And like a good scientist, he researched every other faith out there, including atheism. And eventually, 10 years ago, at a Good Friday service, approaching the cross, 
He experienced Jesus calling to him and talking to him, not audibly, but very real. Very, very real. So he and Lucy joined this church, had their baby, Katie, baptized here last fall. And in Paul's words, he said, this is why I'm a neurosurgeon. This is why I volunteer in a free clinic every Saturday. Knowing Jesus so intimately that we become like him. Friends, this is the ripple effect of Easter. It's not our creeds that are most important, though they are important. But it's our own experience of Jesus alive, setting us free to live and to love like he did. Everyone's experience will be unique. Mine is not like Paul's. Yours won't be like mine. Yours will be your own kind of way of encountering Jesus alive. But God's intent is not for head knowledge or knowing about, but knowing us. Every single one of us having our own experience and relationship. Let's pray together. Oh God, open the eyes of our hearts to see you approaching us even here, even right now. Whatever has crushed our faith in the past, whatever is squeezing out our hope that you are real, that you do love us. Living Lord, lift those burdens, heal those old wounds. Oh God, if we have developed a hardness toward you, soften it with the pure gaze of your unconditional love in this very moment. If we are filled with despair, fill us instead with a vision of your empty tomb, your victory over death. If we have become more confident in our knowledge about spiritual things and actually knowing you, may we hear you in this place calling our name. May we rise up to know you and the fullness of your love for us and in us. We praise you for your healing grace that is resurrecting and renewing this world you love. So resurrect us, renew us, and set us free to love you back. Amen.